Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We've been talking about prayer for the last several Wednesday nights. And last Sunday, uh, last Wednesday, excuse me, if you remember... We talked about the prayer life of Jesus, and that wasn't really an exhaustive type study there. We just looked at a few uh, passages of Scripture. And so tonight I was going to kind of move on into the model prayer. And we'll read, uh, we, we can find it here in Luke. You can go over in the uh, Matthew, the Beatitudes, and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in that, in that section of Scripture in there, you'll find also the Lord's Prayer there as well. But Luke chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1, says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us Day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we, all, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let us pray. Father God, again we bow before you tonight, Lord, and we are so thankful to be back in your house. And uh, Lord, as we look at prayer again tonight, Lord, what, a, what an awesome, I call it a tool, Lord, that you have given us. But it's so much more than a tool, God. It's a, it's a way to communicate with you. And God, we're, we're so thankful that there's an open communication there all the time if we'll just simply take advantage of it. And Lord, so I pray that as we continue to look at prayer and just hitting high spots is all we're doing. But Lord, as we look at it, I pray that you'll continue to show us how important prayer is and how vital it is to our relationship with you and uh, not only for our relationship with you, but God, for our families and our churches and our country. Lord, we need to talk to you. And God, we need to bring our problems to you. And, but there's a certain way that it has to be done. And God, I pray that tonight as we look through this model that you have given the disciples here, Lord, that it is a model we can use tonight as well. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just guide us through your word, help us to see the things we need to see. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got a bunch of notes up here, but I feel as scatterbrained tonight as I've ever been in my life. Anybody ever had those days when you just, you got it in front of you and it, it, it could be in another language? That's just how I feel. Like it's just everywhere. I'm like, you know, and I didn't do anything different than I normally do, but tonight I'm struggling to stay focused. I don't know what's wrong with me. But anyway, tonight, as we, as we jump into, uh, we're just going to kind of look at a few things here as time allows. When we hear the corn dog bell go off, you know, we'll just... <laughs> We'll just, uh, fight's over, you know, we'll go out there and get us some corn dogs, but I think we'll be through in time. But tonight, I've got several things that I, some I'll try to make note of where I got them from, but I pulled several things out of John Phillips' commentary. It's some of my favorite commentaries, John Phillips. 
have a, a, a commentary at home on the Gospel of Luke. So I pulled some of his stuff, and, and I got a couple of books up here. I don't really know where to get this book from here. This one was gained, given to me uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, by Mr. Wayne Nunkey. Y'all probably know who I'm talking about, but he and I had uh, lunch one day in Blackshear, and he passed this book along to me. And I do not, I've looked everywhere trying to find somewhere that you could access, like, get this book, and I, I've yet to figure out how he got it. I need to text him and ask him, but it's written by, um, let me get his name here, by Pastor Chris Hodges. If you've ever heard of the church, the church of the Highlands in Alabama, uh, the pastor is Chris Hodges. Anyway, he's the one that wrote this book. It's a very, very good book, and I've looked for a website and all kinds of stuff, that I could, and it's probably in there, and I'm just overlooking it. But I pulled some stuff out of here tonight as well, and I will try to make note of the stuff that I use. I don't want to take credit for their work. Uh, but I'm also that guy that doesn't believe in reinventing the wheel either. In other words, if somebody says something that's good, I'm just going to tell you this is good and this is where I got it from because it's good stuff. And, um, and also I pulled some stuff out of my, my um, Ken Hemphill book, The Antioch Effect, and you've, you've seen this book already before. But as we get going here in, in Luke chapter 11, it's kind of interesting as we'll start off before we get into the model prayer. We see... Verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Now, kind of gives us the idea when, when Luke writes that, that he was praying in a certain place, kind of gives us the idea that this might have been a place that Jesus might have frequented off, often in his prayer. You know, we've, we've made note of that over the last couple of weeks that if you can have that one particular spot where you get along with God, it, it, it kind of, it'll take on some, some significance for you. You can pray anywhere. And I suggest you do that. But when you can find that one spot that you just like, you know, and it seems like you can get quietness. It seems like no one bothers you there. Uh, it, it may be, you know, a, a room in your house. It may be um, sitting in your car. It's whatever works for you. You know, everybody's got their own thing. But when you can get that spot and when you begin to spend time in prayer, that spot will uh, just kind of become important. I know you've seen the movie, I thought about this all of a sudden. The war room. I know you've probably seen that. You remember in the movie, the, uh, the elderly woman in the movie who had that little room, you know, that she went to. And that room was special to her because not only did she pray there, but that's where God spoke to her. And that's what makes the spot kind of interesting or, or, or a good spot for you is because you not only talk to God, but God talks to you. And you can uh, have that little time alone. So I believe Jesus had that place. I believe he had a lot of places, but... It seems that we can kind of gain from the scripture that he was at this particular spot that he might have visited often. But it says when he ceased, when he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And, you know, and I, I've always, I always would love to have known what led them to ask that. In other words, when they walked up, did they hear Jesus praying and they just kind of stop and just kind of sit down quietly, you know, and listened? I mean, was he praying out loud? We don't know. Scripture don't tell us. Uh, almost kind of like they walked up there, so I'm praying and just kind of sit down and listen. Because I just imagine that when Jesus prayed to the Father, that was probably a pretty good conversation going on right there. I mean, in other words, you just want to sit back and just listen. And almost when he got through, like, could you, could you teach us how to, how to do that? I mean, it was kind of like, and, and, and it led me to something that um, I read this week, and I was going to share it with you because... The question that was posed here in this book is, uh, you know, if you could ask Jesus for anything, what would it be? You know, what, what gift would it be? And he starts off here in 65, 
Dr. Hemphill by saying, if you could be empowered to reproduce one activity of Jesus' earthly ministry to aid you in church growth, what would it be? That was a good question. I just, I liked it. He said, would you be tempted to ask for the power to heal? With the ravages of today's diseases, you could certainly make an impact for good. Think, too, about the media attention you would receive. People with AIDS, cancer, all forms of illness would be lined up at the door of your church all hours of the day and night. How about the ability to perform miracles? Think about the miracle of feeding the 5,000 on a much larger scale. You could be instrumental in wiping out famine, and that would be just for starters. Such a ministry would draw worldwide attention to the church. It could certainly serve as a catalyst for church growth. Both are tempting, but I think I might request that I be empowered to teach like Jesus. That'd be awesome. It says, every time he stopped to teach, huge, huge crowds gathered around, standing or sitting for hours. He taught with such authority that lunchtime seemed like un, uh, an unnecessary intrusion. Excuse me. He says, if I, had, if I only had his teaching ability, I could grow a great church. And then he goes on to talk about, but that's not what the, what the disciples asked for. And, and they saw Jesus do a lot of things. They saw the healing, as, as Dr. Hippie brought up, the healing, the teaching, all of these things. And that's not what they asked for. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray like you do. And so I, I just find that to be very interesting because, you know, I, I asked myself that question when I read that this week. I thought, you know, Lord, if I could have anything, any spiritual gift, and, and the reason that's an interesting question because remember we just covered about four Wednesday nights ago of when Solomon, when God came to Solomon and said, you know, what can I do for you more or less? What, what is it you need? And Solomon could have asked for anything. He said, God, grant me wisdom that I might be able to lead your people. And so because he asked for wisdom, he got, God blessed him with a lot of other things. But the thing is, is sometimes I'm afraid if God come and ask me, I would probably ask for something selfish, you know, like make me a great pastor, you know, or, you know, give me the ability to preach like, you know, this Charles Stanley or whoever, I don't know. But, um, but these guys asked for something like prayer, or they ask for prayer. And what's kind of neat about that is because prayer is probably the one thing that would enhance your spiritual walk more than anything else. Isn't that awesome? Bible study would enhance your, your walk with God. Uh, coming to church would, but talking to God is going to enhance your walk with Him better than anything else. Why? Because there's communication. There's dialogue. You're talking. You're, you're, um, you're communicating. He's speaking to you. You're speaking to Him. It doesn't matter how much you read about something until you start experiencing it, you're not going to really experience much growth. And that's what prayer does. And so we're going to kind of jump into this here. Uh, as we get here, uh, it says, Lord, teach us to pray. And I like what verse 2 says. It says, so he said to them, when you pray, say. Jesus didn't say, you guys don't know how to pray. I mean, because you don't know, tell you what, they were Hebrew boys. They were Hebrew guys. They would have known how to pray. Some of them might not have been... Um, well, no, they would have all been Hebrew guys. They had to think about who the disciples were. But they were all, they would have all been taught how to pray. And so Jesus could have easily said, you know, you guys should know how to pray by now. But he didn't do that. He says, when you pray, say this. And so we'll start off. And, and let me say this before we get it started. You know, I think the Lord's Prayer has been kind of taken out of context a lot. Um, you know, I did it, you know, growing up playing baseball in high school. We'd always pray the Lord's Prayer before every game. 
And, uh, and even then, I kind of thought it was kind of odd that we did because there's really, it's not really, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it is really more of a model than it is anything. It is showing us how to pray. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's showing them how you should pray. And so we're going to look at that. So he starts off with them uh, by telling them to, to connect with, with uh, God on, a, on a, like a relational type way. He starts off by saying, um, our Father in heaven. Now, we see the Father's person here. Now, this comes out of my John Phillips commentary. I'm going to talk about the Father's person, the place, uh, the purity, His purposes, His provision, and all of that will come out of my John Phillips commentary about home. But we see the Father's person by starting off by saying, Our Father. Now, Jesus is presuming here that whoever is going to be praying this prayer or praying in this fashion, he's talking to people that have a relationship with God already. So, in other words, having said that, if you're not saved, and I'm probably talking to all saved people here tonight, but there might be somebody listening online, you can't really pray at my Father, which are in heaven, if he's not your Father. In other words, you can pray, but listen, you can't call him your Father. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then you don't have a relationship with the Father. You can only have a relationship with the Father through the Son. And... So really, from a lost person's perspective, really the only prayer, now this, is, this gets confrontational with a lot of people because I've had conversations where people say, I'm not a Christian. you saying God don't hear my prayer? Oh, I, I no doubt God hears your prayer. Whether he answers them or not, I don't know. Uh, and I do know that lost people are, are blessed. And I'll tell you why, because if you're standing up straight, breathing air, you're blessed, okay? So God takes care of lost people. But does, I, does God listen to lost people's prayers like he does Christians? I, I don't know. I can't answer that. But I've always felt in my own heart, based on what I read in God's Word, that really the prayer that God wants to hear from a lost person is the, is the prayer of repentance. Is a prayer where you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you become uh, saved and, uh, and enter into a relationship. Then when you pray, you say, My Father or Our Father which are in heaven. Because now He is your Father. But you can't claim something that you don't have. And so... So I believe Jesus is presuming here that the one praying is a child of God. And in these disciples' case, that's what he's teaching them. Uh, and, and listen, if you are saved tonight, then you are a child of God. we got several places we're going to flip to tonight. Uh, so get your flipping fingers loosened up. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And we're just going to make note. We're not going to do a bunch of flipping, but we are going to look in a few places. John 1. Verse 11 says this. It says, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So those that are born of God, we're children of God. Now, go to Romans with me. Go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul wrote this. Verse 15. Romans 8, 15. He said, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So when we were saved, the day you got saved, the day you give your heart to Jesus and you ask Him to forgive you your sins, He did. The, whole, the Holy Spirit moved in to take up residency, so to speak, in your life. 
and in your heart and you are adopted into the family of God. You belong to Him. And so you are sons, we are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which is why as a Christian we have an eternal inheritance waiting for us. Uh, we get to inherit of heaven one day. We get to live there. We're going to look at that a little more in detail in just a second. Now let's look here at the Father's place. We see the Father's person. Let's look at the Father's place. He says, Our Father in heaven. And I want to encourage you tonight with something that heaven is a real place. Okay? It is a real place. And God dwells there. And yes, we can study in the book of Revelations and there's a lot of things that's going to happen in the millennial reign and uh, the new Jerusalem and all that. But for just for tonight, we're just going to say that God is in heaven based on what we know about heaven and we can understand. But that is where God's at. And listen, when he started off telling the, the, the disciples how to pray, he says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. So here's what it means is our thoughts, as Christians, our thoughts when we pray, should be on the things above, not so much here. I think when we get discouraged, it's because we start focusing on things here, which are temporary. Heaven is eternal. The things that we have waiting on us there is eternal. Uh, that's where no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more bills, none of those things exist, okay? I could say bills like 10 times, you know, bills, 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 you know. Uh, those won't exist anymore. And so, but it's, that's our inheritance. That's where God's at. That's where our focus should be. Meaning that, yes, I have to live a life here now. And I do have things that I have to do. But my focus, I have a spider crawling across there. But my focus is, he's dead now. So he comes running across the podium. He got the finger of death. So he's gone. Anyway, so for those of you at home, I apologize. Anyway, moving on. But we, I don't even know where I was at now. But anyway, our focus should be, our focus should be heaven. And, and we should not forget that there is something better coming, that we have something waiting for us that's way better than what's going on here. So when we pray our Father in heaven, now I want you to note because we're, we're just kind of moving through this. I, there's a lot we could bring out, but we're moving quickly. But notice that when... Jesus started with the model prayer, and we're going to get over to us in just a minute, but I want to show you something here briefly. Notice that, where did the focus start at in the prayer? It focused on God. The focus didn't start on, he didn't say, okay, when you guys start praying, you need to start asking him for everything you want and everything you need. He didn't, he didn't start there. He started off by, okay, let's start off by honoring God with who he is. Let's start off with him because listen, he's first. He gets the praise before we do anything else. So we started off by praising the Father which is in heaven. Now we, we get into worshiping his name. So we got to connect with him relationally. Now let's worship his name. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then under that, we're going to look at the Father's purity here. Notice this. I want you to get this tonight. God's name is holy. Okay, his name is holy. You say, Brother, how do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to Psalms 111. Psalms 111. Psalms 111. Verse 9. Psalms 111, verse 9.
It says, He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. And then, if that wasn't enough, go to Exodus. Go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 7, part of the Ten Commandments. Notice, notice what one of the commandments that God gave Moses here. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, I'm 50 years old. I'm somewhat old school. And this is kind of how my mom and dad taught me. But I also believe it's biblical. It just irks me to no end to hear somebody take God's name in vain. It makes me, it irks me even more to hear somebody put a cuss word on the end of it. And, and if I ever wanted to slap somebody, I, that's, what, that's what I want to just, I can't stand it. I mean, it's like, because God is a holy God. And if he's a holy God, then that makes his name holy. And we're to reverence his name. And so he's, Jesus is saying here that hallowed be your name, talking about the Father. And so Chris Hodges here in this book that I mentioned to you all ago, he brought this out, a couple of things here, talking about the names of God. He says, he's, he says God is righteousness. He's the one who makes us clean. He said, God is sanctifier. It's the name. He's, he has called us and set us apart. God is healer. He heals all of our diseases. God is banner of victory. He defeated our enemies. God is shepherd. He speaks to us and leads us. God is peace. He is our peace in every storm. And then he says, God is provider. He supplies all of our needs. So think about that. Thinking about, if you, you know, I've said I was going to do this and I've never done it, but I was going to do a word study one day and just go through and just look at all the names of God in the Bible. I've actually got a Bible at home, I think, that breaks them all down. But, yeah, we know that, you know, God the Father, that's what we're calling His name right now. But God has many, many names in there, and, and, and it was just really awesome. But in those names, He is our righteous. He is our sanctifier. He is our healer, our banner of victory, our shepherd. Our, he is the, our peace, and He is our provider. He's all of those things. God is everything and more than what we need. But we, not, we don't need to forget that He's holy. And here's what I think we do sometimes in churches or maybe in our Christian lives, which bleeds over into our churches, is we try to bring God down on our level, and we should never, ever do that. What, what we should do is aspire to be on His level. Now, I will never be on His level, but that doesn't mean that I don't try. You say, well, you think you're going to be a God? No. Peter wrote over in the in a first or second Peter, and he was quoting out of the uh, Old Testament. He said, but because God is holy, we are to be holy. So we are to strive to be as holy as we can. We don't need to bring him down and try to get him to be okay with our mess and the sin we're living in. No, we need to shuck off the sins and the, and the mess we're living in and aspire to be on his level. Try to be as much like God as we can possibly be. Because to be a Christian means that we are like, we're like Christ-like. We're little Christ. Everywhere we go, we represent him. And we're supposed to live like him. And so we need to, we need to strive to not be sinful people. Go to Proverbs with me, uh, chapter 18, verse 10. Go to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Uh, 
I like, I like this here. I just threw this in for extra. Proverbs 18.10, uh, the writer here says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Isn't that awesome? Man, when you, when you, and, and I have to be reminded of this quite often, but because uh, I'm a stressor. I, I've told you all that already, but I'm a stressor. I'm a worrier. Uh, I don't, there, there are nights I don't sleep well. I'll go to bed tired and I'll fall asleep. But then I'll wake up around 3 a.m. and then I can't go back to sleep because I can't get my mind to stop. It just, it's just going, 90 to nothing. It's thinking of everything that I got to do the next day, the next week, the next two weeks. I'm thinking about people's problems. I'm thinking about my problems. You know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about everything. And, and, and it really, it, it robs me because what I'm doing is I'm worrying. And I'm stressing. And God tells me not to do that. But Psalms 118 tells us that God's name is like a strong tower. We can run to that. We can find safety and security in that, which means that we need to go to God in prayer when we find ourselves in those situations. And then I threw this in there for extra too. I just love this passage. Go to Isaiah with me. Isaiah chapter 6. Just, just as a, a reminder tonight of the God we serve. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I being Isaiah, sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So he had six wings. Two covered his feet, two covered his face, Two he flew in. It says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think it tells us in the book of Revelation that this is going on all the time in heaven. It says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I'm going to stop right there not read any more in that chapter. I'll let you finish reading it yourself. But I, I threw that in there because, listen, we've, we've seen several instances here and we could keep going, but in Isaiah chapter 6, we'll stop with that one before we move on to our next thing. But we serve a holy God, if you don't take anything else home tonight, take that home. God is a holy God. He is supposed to be revered. He's supposed to be placed in that, in that, that place of authority because that is His place. That's why the that's why Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. That's saved and lost. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. We're talking about those that are lost and have already died. It, they're all going to come back before Him one day, and they're all going to bow, and they're all going to acknowledge Him. Why? Because He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords, and He is holy, and He deserves our praise. And so we see Isaiah here, when he finds himself seeing this vision here of what's going on in the throne room, He's realizing, woe is me. Like, I'm in trouble because I, I'm, I, don't, I can't be in this presence because I'm realizing how holy the God is that I served. I even remember, if you read over in the book of Revelation where, where John writes of the things that God allowed him to see, John was overwhelmed at what he saw in heaven because he realized 
Wow. And I've always, I've always thought this, um, you know, in my ignorance when I, when I was young and not been saved long, I made statements like, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to do this. And I, I'm going to, you know, I can't wait to see this. And, but the older I get and the more I grow in my walk with God, I've come to realize that my first moments in heaven are probably going to be overwhelmed of, in the presence of Jesus. It's not going to be a, I can't wait to see this. I could just honestly, my, I, I, in my mind, I see me on my knees in the presence of a holy God realizing, wow, you know, and, and I think, honestly, this is what I think. When the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that every, uh, when all the tears will be wiped away, I think it will be at that moment. I really do. Because I think at that moment, when we get to heaven, it ain't going to be like, oh, I'm in heaven. I think it's going to be like, what a mess I made of it. You know, how holy you are and what I did with, you know, what I did with you when I had the chance. Me and Connie were talking about that today. And um, as we were getting ready to come to church and, you know, thinking about everything that's going on, I, I'm convinced. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I'm convinced that um, that I'll see Jesus stand in the clouds in my lifetime. I'm convinced. I believe it with all of my heart. Uh, he's coming back. We know that for a fact. I believe he's coming back soon. I mean, like, really soon. And you know what? As we were, we were talking about that, um, we were talking about how all the people in our lifetime that we've, we've come in contact with, that we didn't share the gospel with like we should have. Because if those people die without, without, uh, without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, because God is a holy God and heaven is a holy place, those without Jesus cannot enter in and they won't enter in. There's nothing they can do once they close their eyes in death to change that. It won't change. That how they die is how they will spend eternity. And it saddens my heart when I think about that because... I think we've lived so long as Christians and even as a church. Um, I don't know what words I would use here, but I don't think the realization of a holy God coming back to get his church has sunk in on a lot of folks. And we need to realize that that day is coming. It will happen. And you know what? And here, let me say this. And we shouldn't say it like, he's coming back. No, sir. We ought to say, he's coming back. I mean, that ought to excite us. We ought not to be sad and gloomy about that. I got news for you. I'd leave tomorrow if he'd come get me. I don't want to die, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, if he wants to rapture the church up tomorrow, I'm ready. Y'all don't look too excited. Are y'all ready? Some of y'all not sure if you're going or not. I, okay, so y'all are like, well, you know, uh, we'll do an altar call in a minute and see if we can't get this straightened out. But no, uh, we ought to be excited about that. Why? Because that's my eternal inheritance. That's my home. We were riding this week again, me and Connie talking, and I know i got to move on. The, the bells come off in a minute. But, you know, we were riding along, I think it was when we left church Sunday. We were just talking about society, and, and we have these conversations a lot. She said, um, you know, sometimes you just feel like you just don't fit. I said, nope. I said, but we shouldn't. You should never feel like you fit. Uh, matter of fact, Austin, when he went to one year of Coastal College, and, and he came home one day, and he said, Daddy, he said, I just, I don't fit. He said, I'm in a classroom full of lost people, and they've got all these liberal views. He said, I just don't fit. I said, son, that's not a bad thing. If you told me you fit, I'd be worried about you. I said, but you're a Christian. You won't fit. The Bible tells us that we don't belong here. 
We're just passing through. We can't get so ingrained in the things in this life and all the things going on that we forget that there's something coming that's so much better. Now, we got a life to live and we got people to tell about Jesus and, and we need to make a difference. But we're never, ever going to fit as Christians in this lost world. It's not going to happen. But that's not bad. It's not bad at all. Jesus told the disciples when they went, He's like, look, if somebody rejects you, just dust off your feet and move on because it's me that they rejected. It's not you. And that's why a lot of times we don't fit in. It's because of who we stand for. All right, moving on. He tells them to pray God's agenda. He says here, um, let me get back. I flipped so many times I've lost where I'm at. He says, uh, just kind of back up, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, in, as it is in heaven. When we pray, Jesus says we ought to pray that the Father's will should be done in our lives. We should pray that God's business is what gets carried out. His agenda, not our agenda, not what we want, but what He wants. And sometimes that's a tough prayer. You know why? Because sometimes when we pray that, our will wants to get in the way. You ever had a hard time praying God's will because you wanted something different? You're like, God, I want your will to be done, but I sure hope it's this. You gotta, I want your will to be done in my life, but Lord, could you give me that over there? That's really what I want. But when you pray God's will to be done in your life, what you're really saying is, God, okay, I've got to surrender everything I have to you. And listen, and until we do, only then does he become our Lord and Savior. If you're not praying God's will be done in your life and you're not surrendering everything you have to him, then he's not really our Lord. He's just our Savior. We can be saved and he might and wouldn't be our Lord because to be our Lord means he lords over all things in my life. Now, if you're like me, I do pretty good with that some days and some days I don't do so good with it at all because there are days when I'm like, God, it's all yours. I, I, just, want, I just want to be obedient. And then there are other days when I go through and start picking up stuff that's mine and putting them in my pocket and going, okay, God, you can have that part of my life today, but I, I want this part. You can't do that. So when we start praying, God, your will be done, then what we're saying is, God, I want your agenda to be done in my life. And it's not what I want. But honestly, that was one of the toughest things I believe I ever had to do when God was calling me to preach was let go of what I wanted to do as opposed to what God wanted me to do. See, I had my whole I had my life mapped out there. I, I knew what I wanted to do in my life. I, I had gone to school for certain things and and uh, was was starting to, to get into that when God just messed up my plans. And it's really not that he ever messed up my plans. It's if I'd have focused on God to start with like I was supposed to, I never would have went down those other roads to begin with. But I was living my life. I was kind of like, I'm a Christian. I love you, Lord, but this is my life. I, I, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And the thing is, you know what? It took me a long, long time to realize this. I'm 50. What I think I realized this when I was 49. But... Uh, I'm kidding, y'all. I just want to make sure y'all are okay. Y'all were, were struggling. Y'all were just like, just looking at me like, y'all about to go to sleep. Y'all need a corn dog. That's what y'all need. Y'all need a corn dog. Alex says, I want a corn dog. But here, anyway, the thing is, is God's will is the best for my life. Why is that so hard for us to comprehend? 
God's will is the best for my life. If I would just quit fighting God and just do what He called me to do to begin with, my life goes so much better. But I get in the way a lot of times. But we got to pray His will be done in our lives. And not only do we pray God's will, but we pray God's kingdom to come. Look in Luke chapter 12, right next to where we're at already. Luke chapter 12, verse 31. He told them there about, about worrying. He said, But seek the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added to you. In other words, if we put God in His rightful place, everything else kind of takes care of itself. But we've got to put Him in His rightful place. And let me just encourage you with something before we move on here quickly. And that is this. As crazy as everything seems sometimes and upside down in our life, when Jesus said, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, um, we need to, or, or I'm sorry, let me back up here. Uh, how, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. We need to know that God's kingdom, it will come. That hasn't been canceled. It hasn't been postponed. It's coming, okay? It's just on God's timing. It's not on my time. It's not on yours. And so whenever God looks at Jesus and says, go get your bride, go get the church, go get your children, that is when it's going to happen. And it's going to happen just like that. And we are going to be raptured out. And that is awesome. So God's kingdom will come. Now notice verse 3. He says, give us day by day our daily bread. Okay, see, now, now we're just now really getting into us, aren't we? I mean, we're just now getting into us. I mean, Jesus has been talking now for two verses, and we're just now getting to us. So we've been focused on God this whole time. Is when we pray, we've we got to pray that uh, we focused on, on God who's in heaven, you know, how holy you are, God. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. We want the same things going on in our life, you know, on the earth that's going on in heaven. Lord, we want you to be praised like that. You, and listen, I've learned this in my life before we move on. Let me say this. I can't control what's going on in all the other places in, in the world, but I can control what's going on in my house. And that's how you got to look at it. We can put God in His rightful place in our homes and in our own lives. I might not be able to control that down at somebody else's house. But as my dad told me one time when I was uh, growing up, uh, I think I was about 10 or 11 years old, I made the, the, the ignorant mistake of asking my dad if I could do something. And he told me no. And I said, well, they're doing it over there. And I remember my dad quickly, quickly turning to me with this real serious look. You don't live there. And they don't live here. This is Edward Colley's house, and you're my son. And as long as those things don't change, you'll do what I tell you to. How's that fit? Fits good with me, Dad. And we moved on, you know. Never said that again, you know. So, uh, so can't control what goes on in somebody else's house, but we can control what's going on in our lives and in our house. So moving on, though, um, as we look here, he says, give us day by day our daily bread, which means we are to depend on him for everything. The Father's provision, we are to bring our needs to God. He didn't say our wants. He said our needs, that we are to ask God to give us day by day the things that we need to survive and to live in this life. God already knows what we need, but by asking Him for those needs in our life, it acknowledges that He is in control of all things. That's what that does. That puts Him in His rightful place. 
So, as Chris Hodges says, he said, God promises to, pl to supply all of our needs, and he wants us to come to him with our problems, our needs, and desires, and to trust him to provide. What that means is this, that when we go to God on a daily basis and we pray to him and we ask him to help meet a need in our life, and you may be there now, maybe you've got a need right now that you're praying about, that you're trying to figure out how this is going to work out. Well, when you take it to God and you ask Him to help you with that need, unless God tells you to get up and go do something about it, don't, don't get up and go try to take it out of God's hands. When you bring it to Him and you put it to His feet, you leave it there. And you say, God, I need you to help me with this issue. I believe God, listen, I believe it all my heart. God's concerned about His children just like I'm concerned about my children. Matter of fact, Jesus says over there, He said, if an earthly father will give good gifts, how much more would the heavenly father give to His children? I mean, and that's how I am. I don't want to ever see my kids go uh, without something that they need. They don't always get what they want, but I try to make sure they get what they need. Why? Because they're my children and I love them. God's the same way. He loves us, and if we'll put Him in His rightful place and we'll acknowledge Him uh, in our daily walk, in our life, then He will meet the needs as long as we're being obedient children. Look at Psalms 121. We're getting close to the end here. I've talked fast to try to get done on time. Psalms 121. Psalms 121, verse 1. Notice what the, uh, the writer of this psalm says. And this is an awesome psalm. You, you probably know it by heart. He says in verse 1 and 2, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hill. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. I mean, I, I believe God meets our needs to the point that even when I'm at home working on stuff, if I, I pray about it before I start. Anybody else? I'm the only one? Hey, listen, I've been working on cars before, and I'm not a mechanic, which is why I have to pray a lot more. But, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how you guys are, but I'm not a mechanic. I can change parts, and I can figure out when something ain't working. But when it gets down into the deep, into the engine, diagnostic stuff, psh, that ain't me. But I've had, I've had vehicles before when I was out there, and, I mean, I was just at my wits' end. Man, I just stopped, laid my hands over on that thing, and I just prayed. I said, Lord. You know, and people, when I say that, people look at me and go, I'm like, look, if he can speak the planets and the stars in existence, he can fix a Toyota, okay? I'm sorry, but he can. Don't tell me he can't because I believe he can. Man, I have prayed, Lord, I need you to show up because I don't know how to fix it. And you know i got to go to work. I need this car, Lord. I don't know what to do. If you don't want to fix it, please send me somebody that will. And, you know, it always works out. God always meets the need somehow. But I believe in all my heart God has the ability to do anything he wants to do because he's God. God's not limited. I'm limited, but he's not. I got a couple, couple more things, and we're moving quickly. In verse 4, he says this. He says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, the Lord 
forgives us. Anytime, now listen, here's, what, here's what's going on here. Jesus is getting over here and he's getting into the needs and then he's saying that we should bring our, our sins to the Lord. In other words, when we do sin, not, you know, not, okay, we sin today. No, we should try not to sin, but when we do sin, we need to ask God to forgive us of our sins. We don't need to let unconfessed sins build up in our life because trust me, they will. And but here's what he's saying. We need to come to the, to the Father and ask for forgiveness of our sins. First John tells us that when we come to the Lord and ask Him to forgive us of our sins, He is faithful and just to do that. He is a very gracious and merciful God. But there's a flip side to that. He said, forgive us of our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, anybody else struggle with that? Oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, I mean... You know, I expect God to forgive me whenever I come before God because He says that He will. I believe that. I believe He is a God of His Word. But then on the flip side of that, I struggle with forgiving people who have wronged me. But honestly, to be honest with, with you tonight, how can we as children of God expect God's forgiveness if we're not willing to forgive others? Now, Having said that, I don't think that's a quick fix, okay? I'm not saying that shame on you if you can't forgive somebody. I'm saying that that is a struggle with all of us. Why? Because we're fleshly. Uh, pride gets in the way. We don't like somebody to get the last word. We don't like, we don't like people to think they got the better of us. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a pride thing. And so, so how do we do that? Well, we get back into the prayer issue again. I believe we pray and ask God to help us with this. God, help me. To forgive those who have wronged me. Matter of fact, I, I'm not gonna. I was gonna read this, but we're running out of time, so I'm not. But if you want to make a note of this and read it later, you've probably read it a thousand times already. But in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus gives us a story over there of a servant who owed a large. Well, he he owed a pretty good amount of money, and he was brought up there before his master, and he, and he couldn't pay it. And then the master was like, okay, then lock him up and his family until he can pay the debt. And he begged him to please forgive him. And his master, he had compassion on him and he forgave him of his debt. Matter of fact, wiped it clean and told him to go. That same guy who just experienced forgiveness of a debt gets up, goes out, finds a guy who owes less money to him than what he owed to his master that was just wiped away. He goes out there and he says, I need my money. And the guy says, I don't have it. And it says that he had him beat. And so then the original master finds out about it and has him brought back up there. He's in big trouble. And so anyway, Jesus more or less using this story teaches and says, look, this is the same way it is with you if you can't forgive those who have wronged you and you expect God to forgive you. He's more or less saying, don't expect God's forgiveness in your life if you're not willing to forgive somebody else's. Now, that's tough teaching right there that Jesus gave us in the Gospels. It's hard, hard sometimes to forgive people when they've wronged us, but that is what we have to do. Doesn't mean you've got to love those people. Well, let me back up. You do have to love them. Doesn't mean you've got to like them, okay? How's that? Because here's the deal. I got it right, didn't I? You've got to love them. But you don't have to like the way they act. You don't, have to, you don't have to like their ways. You don't have to go buddy up with them and hang out with them, okay? But you got to love them and you got to forgive them and pray for them. And pr I promise you, as you pray for those people, God will begin to do something in your heart and life too. And you won't dislike those people quite as much 
over time. So, and the last thing is this. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples here, he says, uh, and do not lead us into, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So he's more or less saying we need to pray that we don't fall into temptation. That, that pretty much what he's saying is he knew that temptation was going to come in their lives. Jesus was tempted. As he went up there to pray for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted. He didn't give in to it, and we don't have to give in to it. So what we do is we pray in our daily prayer. We pray that we don't fall into temptation, but we would be delivered from the evil one. And we need to understand tonight that we need this prayer in our life to pray this prayer because Paul tells us over in Ephesians chapter 6 that we are in a spiritual battle. If you don't think you're in a spiritual battle, then you're probably losing your spiritual battle because you are in a spiritual battle. Every day is a spiritual battle. Every day for a Christian. Uh, every time the devil robs you of the time that you should be spending with God, that's a battle you just lost. And, but the more you try to serve God, the more something's going to get in your way. I promise you that you're going to battle and battle and battle. And so we need to make sure that we're praying, God, protect us from the evil one. Keep us from falling into temptation. Keep us from uh, sinning against you. i got two things that I'm done. John Phillips, again, made this comment. He says, when a child of God falls into evil, not only has he hurt himself, but also he brings discredit to the family of God and does dishonor to the Father. So when we sin, it don't just hurt us. It hurts the name of Jesus. It hurts the church. It hurts, it hurts the whole body and the whole work of God. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into that category. So we need to make sure we're praying that God would keep us from temptation. And I believe this with all my heart. I don't believe that we face anything that we can't walk away from. It's just hard to walk away sometimes. Because if we've not spent time in prayer, we'll give in to those temptations. I'll read you one last thing here. If I can get to it. James chapter 4, verse 7. James wrote, he said, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He goes on to say, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Clench your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So the main thing that I want you to take away from that is this. Resist the devil, okay? There is, a, there is an enemy out there. He is real. The only thing is, you need to note this tonight. He's not equal with God. Okay? Sometimes we make him like it's uh, uh, equal opponents there. Good versus evil. There is good versus evil, but God created the devil. Okay? He didn't create evil. He created the devil. He's a fallen angel, but that's what he is. But he is not God's equal. He can only do what God allows him to do. And so um, I'm encouraged that any time something comes into my life, I know that God had to allow it. It had to go through His hands first. But when I battle the enemy out there every day, I serve one bigger. I serve one bigger than the enemy that I'm fighting. Matter of fact, wasn't it John that wrote, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? And so we need to know that as we pray and we seek God, we have the ability through Christ 
to resist the devil and not give in to temptation. And if we give in to it, it's because we chose to. And when we do that, we can't stay there. We need to get forgiveness and get back where we're supposed to be at. So tonight, I know we flew through that. Probably could have broken it up into two weeks. But, uh, but the model prayer, that is how we should be praying, is by honoring God and, and putting Him first and, and realizing that He's holy and His name is holy and we pray His will be done, not our will. You know, in other words, our prayer time should start off every day really with adoration for a holy God, just a time of worship, a time of worship. Instead of getting right into what I need, get right into praising God. Praise Him. Your prayer time will take on a whole new level when you spend time praising God for all the things that He's already done in your life because He's done some pretty awesome things. Um, tonight, before we get ready to dismiss in prayer, um, Mr. Kenny had asked me tonight to mention this, and I hadn't forgot it. I was just saving it to the end. But uh, Mr. Steve Knox, uh, remember him? He said he went to the doctor today, wasn't it, or yesterday, Monday. Um, and they thought they were going to have to open him back up, but they're not going to have to. They can go up through his leg to do what they need to do, and that procedure will be July the 20th. So that's a good report because they were definitely not wanting to have to open him back up again. So, uh, But do pray for him. Uh, keep lifting him up that everything will go well when that time gets here. Remember Miss Janet as she's at home with the pulled muscle. Uh, continue to remember Mr. Buster. I forgot to mention you guys Sunday night, but he did come home from the hospital Sunday. I'm sure you already know that. But uh, Sunday evening late, about 5, 4.35, he got out of the hospital. So he's at home. Um, is there anybody else we need to remember tonight? Everybody's good. Your sister and her husband. They both have the coronavirus, so remember them. Yeah, Connie's aunt Marty. Um, Morton ain't that, that right? Morgan. Morgan. I couldn't remember what her last name was, and I can't hear in here. I'm sorry. 